Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Three, two, one, we are back. Welcome to today's podcast. Julie and I have a real bunch of interesting news headlines. And obviously on today's show, like on every show, we are focused on reading you and reviewing and sometimes commenting on the real estate headlines or things that try to act like being real estate headlines. So Julie, I have to say from my coaching calls and from the different Zooms I've done today, Mm -hmm. the word on the street is the inventory problem is getting worse. Yes, I would concur based on my premier coaching calls where I have you know, hundreds and hundreds of agents on, as well as our private calls with our elite coaching clients, inventory is the word on the street or lack thereof. All the questions are like that. And, you know, I have to say the buyers that are probably getting hurt the most are VA, FHA, small down payment, something funky about their employment. You know, they just don't present that strong. And it's not even just compared to cash buyers. And there's tons of cash buyers out there right now. But it's also against somebody that's just got a really kick-ass pre-approval letter. That's right. And something else, I've received several emails from people saying, you know, essentially they can't restart or they're having troubles restarting their business, right? I mean, is this ridiculous delayed start we've had this year? And um, I'm telling them the same thing I'm going to tell all of you. Just do the 90-day massive action plan, guys. That's going to get you in doing the exact things that you need to be doing every single day. If Julie and I were personally coaching you and you asked a question like what I'm getting sort of bombarded by late of late, it would, and my answer would be, you know, do the 90-day massive action plan and stick to it. And some of you have already been doing the 90-day massive action plan. So you want to do now what to do now, now the 90 days is over. Guess what? Do it again. <laughs> Restart it. Right? (laughs) Lather, rinse, repeat. That's right. And keep doing it. (laughs) And keep doing it. Because what it is, it's basically focusing you on the actual activities that make you money. And and so there's kind of this a total bifurcated real estate market right now because we have so many personal clients that are doing incredibly well uh, because, and I'll tell you for sure the reason why, it's because they didn't stop working during lockdown. They didn't stop working during quarantine. But the other reason is, is because they already have the skills to go after the business that, you know, essentially many of you have yet to learn how to go after. And I am talking about picking up the phone. I am talking about being a proactive lead generator. The, in this type of market where we're switching, you know, essentially where it's going from what was a powerful seller's market for over 10 years, the greatest boom market in history as far as real estate is concerned. And we're going to be entering into our opinion, of course, and I hope we're wrong, but we're going to be entering into what's going to feel very much like a buyer's market. The transition from the old market to the new market will be painful for those of you who do not yet have the skills. But those of you who do have the skills, those of you who do know how to take get price reductions, those of you who do know how to generate your own listing leads, those of you who do know how to you know pre qualify, how to have you know, you, have, you have your pre listing pack done, you have your listing presentation, you know how to close, you actually know how to do the real work of real estate. You guys are going to make an absolute killing, and why? Because so many of the agents in the past sellers market. 
that you were quote unquote competing with for listings did not have any skills beyond a personal relationship with the seller. Centers of influence, past clients, uh, that, that type of lead. So a skilled agent didn't really have an opportunity to shine when it's a seller's market because sellers are not that picky about who they choose to list their houses because they know at the end of the day, even if the condition and the price and location is not great, they're going to basically still get it sold and probably for you know a very nice amount of money. Well, we are in the vi- final inning of that market and we are going to be entering into a distinctly different market towards the end of the year. So if you want to be relevant in the new market, you have to be doing what's necessary to quickly, and I mean with, I don't even know how to express it. You have probably four to six months to really adapt to the new, um, essentially the new skill set that you're going to need, or you're going to find rolling into next year that it is going to be unbelievably difficult just to get even your centers of influence and past clients to want to do business with you. Julie, you want to? Yeah, well, I mean, the the one who always wins during, uh, like the previous market, our now transitioning market and the future market is always the listing agent. Listing agent always wins, period. How many of you guys are frustrated even if you can find the right house for your buyers, okay? So uh, we're not anti-buyer. Just because we're pro-listing agent doesn't make us anti-buyer. We need buyers to make the world go around. But the fact of the matter is the listing agents have a better lifestyle because they can work with more listings at once than buyers can. Yes, it's mental labor, but buyers, you know, working with buyers is physical labor. I had a call today with somebody that, you know, she's shown them like 20 properties already. And the problem is, They're also a VA buyer. They have very little down payment. They can't go up in price. They can't really compete, you know, so I I feel bad for both the buyer and the agent in those cases. So the the question du jour is how to find inventory. In our coaching program, we have a whole thing on how to find inventory where you think there isn't any. And then of course, how to sharpen your skills so that you can be the listing agent. I, I see the trend being more about strategy than anything else. You know, getting the most for the house right now, but still being able to find them something to move to or something in the interim. Well, but ultimately, if you don't know how to pick up the phone, if you don't know how to yeah, be a proactive lead generator, it just is gonna you're, you're gonna be stuck doing what? Dropping off pies in November, hoping someone's gonna call. You're gonna be stuck buying leads, doing social networking, doing TikTok videos, hoping somehow that's gonna seduce someone to want to call you just because they liked what you were doing on social. Does that even remotely sound like a business plan to you? Does it? Is that how you go about choosing service professionals when you're trying to hire somebody? Do you just basically hire people based on how cute their social networking is? Or do you hire them based on the people that you know are the person that's actually going to get the job done? You know, Julie and I used to use this as an example when we were going on listing presentations. But we asked the seller sometimes, especially when we were competing, we'd ask the seller. So, Mr. Seller, let's say, for example, you had to hire a vet for the job of fixing some, you know, non-life-threatening injury to your favorite pet. How are you going to go about choosing, and this is when we were, you know, often, and we often did compete against someone that they knew. It was a social, you know, it was a center of influence, past client type agent, right? And maybe someone they knew from church or the country club or neighbor or whatever. And we were trying to show them the difference between the fact is that listing agents and realtors in general are not all the same. So we'd go back to the vet analogy and we'd say, if you had to choose a vet to perform this, you know, procedure for your beloved pet, would you go about choosing them just because you knew them from the country club or they you know, brought you a pumpkin pie? Or would you at the very least go and drill down and find out how experienced they were at solving the particular problem that you needed to be have solved? And they obviously will always say, I would look for the person that's most qualified. And then we'd say, well, then, then the question is, is then why are you calling in somebody 
to list your house when you already know that we've got the track record and we're more qualified for the job of solving your problem. And yes, we were that direct. And yes, that did make a difference because it gave the sellers permission to detach from the emotional attachment they may have had to the other person and make business decisions based on what was best for them. That's the type of thing that we teach you in our coaching program. And if you're not going to be willing to learn that type of stuff, if you think somehow you're just going to be able to carry forward all these passive lead generation, social type you know, marketing methods to generate leads, you might generate leads, but they won't choose you to do business with you. And the ones that suffer the most in this sort of transition are the agents who are, are essentially social or centers of influence and past clients agents, because you guys are going to be the most dug in. You treat, you know, centers of influence and uh, past client uh, marketing, basically, like it's a religion. And you will not listen to anybody telling you anything different. You will not listen to anyone telling you. This is the type of thing that Julie and I have experienced from coaching the last 20 years. They're going to, those types of agents are going to do everything in their power not to be told they ever have to do anything that makes them uncomfortable. And so here's a question that just popped into my mind. If you had to generate 10 transactions the rest of this year, and you can scale your number up or down, but you had to generate 20 transactions, 30 transactions, 10 transactions, right? What would be the first three things that you would do immediately that frankly, you're not doing because it makes you uncomfortable or because you're fearful of hearing the word no, or you don't know what to say or how to say it. And so the things that will pop in your mind are, for example, picking up the phone, calling maybe an you know, expired listing of which there's going to be thousands of them going into next year, calling up for sale by owner, uh, calling a notice to default, calling all the other sources that we teach you how to actually directly prospect to. And these are the most motivated have to sell sellers. That's what you need to be focusing all your best energies on. But the thousands of you, the tens of thousands of you that will listen to this show today and into the future, I'm wondering how many of you will ever be willing to do the real work of real estate and you're just hoping and praying that you can get by essentially, you know, faking it for a little bit longer. Hopefully just a few more years, your social networking and your TikTok videos and your branding and your logos and your websites and your lead funnels and all that stuff is going to get you into the end zone. Now, please be clear, that stuff does have a place in your business, but it is not the first thing you should be doing. And you listen to any of the interviews we've done with top producing agents, and here's what you'll discover. Many of them are essentially built their businesses off proactively generation, like what we teach you in our coaching business. All of them are listings based. It's almost impossible to be a top producing agent strictly based on buyers, especially if you're buying them. And then on the podcast, I'll ask them, you know, so what are you doing as far as social networking? It'll be virtually nothing. What are you doing as far as all the other things that have become normalized in the past 10 years that require essentially, you know, spending money? It's virtually nothing. Why? Because once they've learned how to proactively generate business and they're running profit margins of 50, 60, 70, sometimes 85, 90%, why would they spend any money generating leads when they know actually how to do it? How would you feel, listeners, if you knew every single day you could wake up, you could, you know, essentially set aside two to three hours and every single day you could set a pre-qualified listing appointment? Tell me if that would not be the greatest feeling ever and tell me if that would not give you the ultimate sense of freedom in real estate that essentially a market like this is going to require or you're just going to be emotionally sapped coming and going with regards to all the messaging, all the media, all the things you're supposed to be doing, all the things the things are, people are trying to sell you. If you knew any day of the week, you could pick up the phone, you could do the things we teach you how to do, and you could be a proactive lead generator, how would you feel? How would you, how, when you ask that question on PC? Yeah, it's how, like having Superman, you know? <laughs> so you've got superpowers. 
And one of the things we're working on to bridge that uh, gap of nervousness that they is mostly self-produced by agents who don't do these things, the real work of real estate. One of the things that we're doing to take care of the inventory problem, but also help them become a listing agent is we're taking the wayward buyers they've got where they can't find anything, or if they do, they can't compete and using them as their excuse to call for sale by owners and expireds that match their buyer's needs. That's a great way to break the ice and become more comfortable being on the phone because you're calling with an actual need. Now, is that really going to be a match for your buyer? Statistically, probably not, but it's still a great listing lead and you still called with purpose. And I find that they, it's a confidence builder. So, you know, we work through all of that and you earn while you learn. That's but right. You know what? You're not going to earn anything if you don't need to pick up the phone. And you know what's funny too? You were talking about if you were to ask most agents, what three things would you do? You know, if your life depended on taking three new listings by Friday, for example. And it, it's funny how often even lead follow-up comes up because That's they true. got stuff in their back pocket they haven't called because they're too nervous to either compete or it's just a wee little bit out of their wheelhouse. It's too expensive. It's too far out. They come up with all these subconscious excuses. And yet, if their life depended on taking three listings by Friday, they do actually know what to do. It's the doing of it. That's the fly in the ointment. Exactly. And so when you're listening to Julie and I talk, in your heart, in your soul, you know what we're telling you is the truth. So why aren't you doing it? What's the real reason? Well, they're praying to the real estate gods for a V-shaped recovery, and they're going to wake up tomorrow, and everything's <laughs> going to be full of inventory, and everybody's going to be qualified for everything, and all will be well. This market has spoiled you and made you lazy. So true. And maybe you should just consider the fact that that market that is was, and maybe it's the only market you've ever known, is over. This is what this is what happens when Julie and I have a bunch of Zoom meetings and coaching calls and answering a lot of emails from you guys. We really drill down and we want to help help you cut through the BS and get to the truth about what it's going to take for you to just not survive but thrive in this new market. By the way, as I was saying that, I glanced at our book. And if you've not purchased our book, it's on Amazon, it's on Barnes & Noble, whenever that store opens up again. Um, it's called Harris Rules. Make sure you get the book. It is a A to Z guide, basically, of everything you need to do to be building your business. I can't believe some of the wonderful reviews we've gotten, uh, maybe over 400 five-star reviews now. And some of the people that have read the book and are you know, singing its praises are some of the biggest names in real estate. It's the best version of the truth about how to be successful in real estate that we could come up with. There's no fluff in it. Matter of fact, the subtitle on the top of the book, as I'm reading it to you, is a real estate agent's practical, no BS, step-by-step -step guide to becoming rich and free. And that is the bottom line. All right, Julie, we had a little rant today. So let's get some headlines. We did. Okay. Well, so also related to this, though, is uh, there's actually two articles that make the same point. And I always like that, that it's not just some random thing. Housing Wire, as well as CNBC, are talking about... Uh, the impact of forbearances, yes, but also the fact that we're not actually expecting a big tsunami of foreclosures. So, for example, HousingWire points out the fact that only 1 in 10 borrowers who are in forbearance have less than 10% equity. Okay, so that's different than before when prices were already falling. Um, so most people are going to come out of this okay. Also, in addition to that, Fannie and Freddie and the CNBC guy also mentioned this uh, last week. We reported on it has said that this is how forbearances will be handled. There's not going to be any Mickey Mouse. You know, it's all going to, we're going to have a streamlined approach. Um, the CNBC guy is Bob Brecksmith, the CEO of Mortgage Bankers Association. He said that coronavirus-fueled wave of foreclosures is highly unlikely. They do expect, you know, that what we've been talking about, we've got higher prices, a lot of pressure because the inventory is low, followed by an evening out of that 
but not an all out crash. So I was cautioning some of our premier coaching members, why does this matter to them? Because they're going to be bombarded in their email with people saying, give me 450 bucks and I'll put you on it's all the asset started. manager lists, which has not that. actually worked in the history of REOs, right. but you're going to see that. So we don't yet have evidence that that's actually going to hit the fan. If and when we do, you'll hear about it from us first, I think, or at least darn close to first. So what she just said is the scammer emails trying to put you on BPO and REO company lists have already hit your email boxes. You need to delete those. Those guys come out every time there's a change in the market. What we're telling you is the bottom line fact that the market is not, the, the foreclosure train is not even loaded yet, let alone leaving the station. If we see or hear or you know are told anything that would lead us to believe that that's going to change in a meaningful way, we will give you all the information first. But for now, nothing is going to happen. Now, as far as like how far into the future you can sort of assume that there's not going to be a noticeable difference in the number of foreclosures, Julie said essentially several very key things, and I want you to use your own brain to think this through. Most people that were in default, or essentially what we know is from the past uh, real estate crash is when people are underwater in their house and they miss one payment, the probability of them never making another payment walking away from their house is over 90%. That's not happening. Why? Because most people have at least 10%, and then you heard Julie say 20% equity in their homes. So homes nationally would have to depreciate, on average, I bet, at least by 20% in order for us to even get to the yeah, point where people were sure. considering uh, defaulting. Okay, We are so far away from that, yeah, it doesn't well, even and matter. Well, forbearances are like sanctioned missing of your payment. That's, that's right. totally different, you know? And how that's going to be handled is going to be very different. So We need um, to tell them how to yeah. learn about that stuff. We haven't even mentioned it. <laughs> yeah. Right? So you guys need to text the word SURVIVAL to 31996, and you'll become an, our newest member of our free coaching program. It's called experience-premier.net, but just go text the word uh, survival to 31996. And when you do, we're going to give you the 90 day massive action plan for free. We're going to give you the real estate treasure map for free. We're going to give you all the information you need to know about how to essentially take advantage of all the government lifeline programs that you should be taking care of. I got an email this morning. You got it too from Rick mm -hmm. in Colorado who said he just had his EIDL loan approved yes. based on amortized over 30 years, $110,000 loan amount. Uh, the interest rate was 3.75%. Yep. He did not have to base on, it wasn't, I assume it was partially based on credit, but, and uh, the payment was $758 a month. Yeah. Right? So we are going to tell you guys, and then there's the PPP loans. And, and then, there's still some PPP money around. Right. And there's PPP loans and the how to do the mortgage mm -hmm. forbearances. We're telling you how to go about doing, um, you know, uh, what was it? There's so many different little widgets on well, that website. Well, you had unemployment, you had uh, the pandemic unemployment, you had the EIDL the PPP, I mean, we have it all in there. And not only that, but we also have the correct links because right now things are moving so quickly. Sometimes you log into those websites it's and confusing. it's not even accurate. Right. And you're like, like the SBA was making it look like they're only lending to agriculture. Well, that's just one thing that they do. Don't get distracted by that. So, so we have all the hacks. We have the, the math on how to figure out your PPP. We even have a stimulus check tracker and a stimulus check calculator on there. So pretty much everything it takes to bridge your income into the next phase of the market. But we don't want you to only do that, we want you to get into action. So that's why we also have the coaching program. And it's free. And all you've gotta do is text the word SURVIVAL to 31996. If you've not done that yet, do it now. Um, and if you have done it and you just didn't follow up with it, you could just go to premier-experience.net and uh, you know essentially get into the program. There are no strings attached. We want every single agent to not just you know survive through this downturn. We want every single agent to thrive through this downturn. Now be clear, this is just a smidge of what our normal 
coaching program is. But this is designed to help all of you, no matter where you are in your careers, get fantastic direction on what you should be doing next. And thank you for all of you who are emailing us and, you know, you know frankly, being so gracious for us having provided the free coaching program. It's our, it's our pleasure and it's our honor. The way, yes, we appreciate the praise and the thanks and the nice emails and texts, but what we really want you to do is tell as many other agents about this as possible. Our mission through this, <laughs> I was about to say shit show, so I'll say it anyway. <laughs> our mission through this shit show really of, of a market change is the same as yours. It should be helping as many people as possible. That's the primary aim. And when it is, your North Star will always be clear. This is our attempt to help you. It does not cost you anything. So text the word survival to 31996. All right, let's get to some headlines. Yes, okay. So related to this uh, whole shit show, as you lovingly call it, uh, wealthy buyers reportedly in a mad rush to leave San Francisco. I'm also seeing this because we talked to all of our premier coaching clients from all over the country. Um, different versions of the mad rush, but certainly from LA and Chicago and New York. But this article was uh, wealthy buyers reportedly in mad rush to leave San Francisco. Uh, let's see, uh, the demand for real estate is unexpectedly rocketing in wealthy regions outside of San Francisco, reports Bloomberg. Agents say the demand is soaring in affluent areas around the Bay Area, such as Napa, Marin County, and further afield in Carmel as people who have the means to look do get away to the city. Meanwhile, the market in San Francisco and Alameda County is still well below where it was last year. They talk about Lake Tahoe seeing a big surge in real estate. Um, this is one of those things where you're going to have to watch. It's not all going to be the same in every area. And it may move in waves too. People may do this for a while and then get over it. You know, so But it's certainly something that's a common request on our premier coaching call is you know, what are the areas that are surrounding that, you know, we might recommend from our experience that came up today. Um, but it's interesting that the, kind of the migration towards the interior of the country. And so um, this has been happening. We've been reporting about this for the last two months. We saw the trends happening for, because we hear it first from coaching clients. Um, you know, it's a wonderful position that we have. We have thousands of you that are giving us constant market feedback. And what you tell us is oftentimes resembled in the housing data months later, because you know what's happening before everyone else knows it's happening. So why am I telling you this? What you're telling, what you were telling us and we told you is absolutely happening and it's picking up momentum. People are fleeing the cities. Now they're fleeing the cities, obviously from coronavirus, but I think the real reason is, is because you were told for the longest time, for example, if you wanted to be a reporter or if you wanted to work on Wall Street, you had to live in New York City. If you wanted to do certain things and accomplish certain things in your life, you had to live in these densely populated, massively overtaxed and overpriced urban centers. So the governments at hand and you know the housing prices and all that reflected the belief that it was you had to live in that geographic area to get the benefits. Well, if all of a sudden you no longer have to live there and you could still get the benefits because you can live uh, you know essentially and work uh, remotely, you can work virtually, you think people are not going to get the hell out of the cities? Of course they are. People are yeah. so overtaxed. I mean, when Julie and I lived in Columbus, Ohio. And that's not even the worst of it. I mean, Chicago is no, way Columbus, worse. But... Columbus is a good place for people to flee too, truthfully. Yeah, yeah. But when we, when we lived in Columbus, Ohio, when we sold real estate, Get this, listeners. Not only did you have a state tax in Columbus, Ohio, you uh, state of Ohio, you had a federal tax, of course, but then every single city that we would sell um, a house in, we would get a, a essentially a request for to pay taxes. We had to file in every individual zip code. In every individual zip code that we sold a house in, we had to file 
a income tax return to pay income tax on the individual commission we learned it earned in every single damn city we sold a house. Don't forget in. Rita, the evil Rita. Yeah, and Rita. Regional the- income tax, which honest to God, for at least a year and a half, I thought was a joke. I thought it was a scam <laughs> because what is regional income tax? Never right. heard of it. And so you look so. at all these, and that, and we lived in a place that really, in the scheme of things, wasn't that you know taxing. You go out. I think about my coaching clients out in L.A. You know, yeah. and I, they celebrate earning, you know, 500000 a million dollars. I always have to remind them that they need to take whatever they think they earned and divide it by half. And that doesn't include their overinflated yep. property taxes and all the other taxes they're well, paying. Well, not to mention all of our Canadian clients. Oh, my gosh. We have Can- <laughs> oh the Canadian clients. Right. And when you actually, uh, you know, a Canadian uh-huh. earns 100000 U.S. dollars, let's say, and you do the math backwards with all the taxes, it's not, it, guys, it's nuts. So there's no wonder that people are fleeing those environments because a lot of people, you listeners, you're going to wake up one of these days and you're going to realize that essentially you've had a hidden partner called the tax man for years. And look, there's nothing wrong with paying taxes. Taxes are what goes to, you know, essentially fund the government. It goes to doing all the things that are necessary. But in a time like this, we're entering in to a essentially what's going to be a really bizarre economic period. And Julie's about to read an article on that. You've really got to be taking all these things into consideration. So do not surprise yourself if you live in an area like San Francisco and you see people leaving the state. They're not just leaving. They're leaving for you know lifestyle reasons primarily, but they're also live, leaving because they don't want the pressure of living in that densely populated area. Then there's the fear of the coronavirus. The right. coronavirus probably was the thing that gave them it's permission. The it's the catalyst. Right. Okay. So this is another little yes. interesting I mean, article. Even though we're cautiously optimistic that, you know, as inventory comes, it'll burn off and we're going to be okay and no wave of foreclosures. Even still, we have to be mindful of the fact that we are officially in at least a recession. And in fact, we're in a worse recession than any previous recessions. So the big question is, will it become a depression? So what is a recession or depression? It's simply periods of significant decline in economic activity. There are no exact definitions for either one, but if you read through this article, and this is another CNBC article, um, we are officially in recession with unemployment levels unseen since the Great Depression. Even though the jobs report was better last week, it still remains worse than any previous recessions. Okay, so now the downturn will likely fall short of a depression relative to overall duration because the causes of the current meltdown are much different and the government has more policy tools, like we've been telling you about all these tools that have been thrown at you, at its disposal to buoy the economy more than it did in the early 20th century. So um, the depression was a long-term economic, you know, you have to remind yourself that this went from 1929 to 1939, and had it not been for World War II, we would not have pulled out of it in 1939 when we got into production uh, and mobilization. So let's see. Reading on well, it basically talks about unemployment rate is reported in a lot of different ways. They still think that it's very high, at least 15%. And let's see, uh, depression era arrival, a rate that breaches 20% and persists for several months would likely meet the definition of a depression. People are saying if we are still uh, at near those unemployment rates by December, that they will basically declare it a depression for whatever that's worth. So the problem that, I mean, the, the reality of it is, is that nobody has a crystal ball. Nobody knows what the end of the year is going to be like. Nobody knows what, you know, 2021 yeah. is going to be like. Anybody that tells you that they know, you need to have, you know. Well, they can't, they can't figure the matrixes because how many people are in furlough are going to get their jobs back? How many people who are temporarily unemployed aren't really unemployed? 
Speaking you know, of speaking of not uh, being able to completely trust your supposed experts, get to the next story in coronavirus. Mm, yes. Okay. I wasn't All sure right. if you wanted to talk about that. Yeah. But... Well, we can talk about it a little bit. Yes. So, Go but ahead. the moral of the story is, is you have to learn to be your own best expert. And if you're looking through the filters to run your decision-making matrix through, always run it through this first. You can hope for the best, but be prepared for the worst. And if you, you cannot over-prepare for the worst. It's actually impossible for you to over-prepare for the worst. It just means you're really being smart with your expenses and you're earning more money than you normally would have. You're, you know, leveraging all the government programs that you can leverage. You're not allowing yourself to be emotionally manipulated into buying all these silly gimmicks that so many agents have normalized over the last 10 years. That's what happens. Worst case scenario, you become a better, smarter, more profitable business person. That's not so bad. But if you don't prepare at all, because you're just being being a Pollyanna, hoping things are going to somehow magically bounce back through a V-shaped recovery, and if things get worse, then where are you at? You are completely and totally on your heels, if not completely knocked down on the mat. Do not let that happen to you. Now, along the lines, Julie and I are seeing a bunch of stories that are starting to come out of Europe, um, Italy in particular, that have really caused us, and this is this is something we're keeping an eye on. And remember, on this podcast, we never talk about politics. We never talk about you know anything really that's in the news other than housing news. But this seems to be a very interesting emerging story. We mentioned this a couple months ago. Julie and I had a theory that it's entirely possible that the supposed experts completely called the coronavirus thing wrong and that they overreacted and they shutting down the economy might be seen as the greatest mistake humans have ever done to themselves Mm -hmm. because essentially it's causing such long-term negative effects and real health effects on people's lives, not just downplaying coronavirus at all. And more and more of these reports are starting to come out that all the people that were raising all these dramatic red flags telling us we need to be quarantined, telling us we need to go to ground, were wrong. Julie? Yes, this is very interesting and strange and certainly something to watch. And I think that it highlights the fact that there's still so much unknown because look at how different all of these headlines, like all of these things are actually true all at the same time. For example, the WHO, the World Health Organization, now says asymptomatic, so what that means is you had the virus, you're carrying it, but you're not having any symptoms. They're saying that asymptomatic uh, COVID-19 carriers are not actually very infectious, (laughs) okay? So uh, let's see, but, and California reports statewide decline in cases while LA County cases near 64,000. Now, the the jump in cases is very low, only 0.2% of new cases in New York City. Uh, Let's see, but at the same time, India reports another record jump in new cases. Pakistan hospitals running out of beds. Um, New York City is now entering phase one of opening. And while all this is going on, New Zealand has zero active cases. So how can all of this be true at the same time? That was one article that we came across. Then we also have this. Well, the folks from who, you know, the World Health Organization, basically, you you don't have to do that one. Okay. But they basically came out and they said that, you know what, maybe, no, there's a lot we don't know. Might have overreacted. Maybe this is not something we should have done. And so, so, but here, so here's where this, you know, kind of goes in an interesting direction. You guys are all business owners. You're small business owners. Julia, not talking about anything political, but think about this. If there's all this, you know, counter information saying the quarantines and the lockdowns and the, you know, looming economic destruction as soon as all these government programs run their course, you know, if all that plays out and and people start hearing all this information saying, you know what, we didn't need to do that in the first place, 
Do you think people are going to listen when they say you have to be quarantined again? And, and I'll tell you an interesting, this is something actually my friend Kevin Cottrell pointed out, mm -hmm. our friend. Mm -hmm. He and I were talking about this very topic and he said, we will know for sure whether or not the coronavirus was overblown or not in the next several weeks after we see how many people that attended all the protests. Yep, all the demonstrations. Without masks on, by the way. Yep. So those protests. In big cities that were super dense, that had infections. Right. That will, I believe, I think he's right, that'll be a telltale, you know. And why is so it? So far, and they were using, what was the Ozarks? Yeah. The, one of the original right. Ozarks. coming out parties when we were all free again, and they had those pictures of the, the lakes and the Ozarks, and it was tons of people, nobody wearing masks all in the water. And I, it, they're starting to say it's been enough time that if there was going to be a second wave there, that we would be seeing it. And I believe we're not seeing it there. We're not seeing it there. Yeah. It was all over the news. Oh, Jersey Shore, people are having house yeah, parties. Uh, you know, at the Jersey Shore, and they're okay, and then they're all saying this is the worst thing ever. These people are absolute bastards. They have no consideration for. Okay, well, two weeks later, we'll three see. weeks later, no increase. Right, we're seeing this happen across the country. So, yeah. what's going on? And it'll be interesting, especially if that's consistently not coming back. If it's just sporadic here and there, you could make an argument that, well, you know, maybe there was a super carrier or something like that. Well, I shared we'll you, see. I shared with you another story, or maybe I, I think I did. It's somewhere in there. I know I sent you a ton of links today. That basically says that in some Italy in particular, some of the scientists and some of these other people are saying the coronavirus has simply, you mentioned New Zealand, has uh, simply disappeared. disappeared. Yeah. It just doesn't. It's that was the leading part of this one. Right. Oh, was it? Where they're talking Suddenly about? Suddenly there's no talk about coronavirus. Reputable doctors in Italy, the UK and elsewhere are claiming. Okay. Open that up. Uh, are claiming that the virus hardly exists any longer. Just over a week ago, much of America faced jail if they dared break the social distancing rules put in place by tyrannical governors and other public officials. Now tens of thousands gathered to protest, police killing with impunity. The spikes they warned about in areas where restrictions were eased are not actually happening. So what is happening? Also, what to make of all, you know, all the other reports going on. So that, that goes to... What is really happening? And Julie and I are not citing on any of this. We're just reporting the news. But what no. we're seeing is this sort of anti-trust the, you know, expert momentum thing is increasing. Mm -hmm. Now, why, why are we telling you this on our, you know, real estate focused podcast? Because towards the end of the year, can you imagine the sort of, you know, exchanges that are going to be going on in an election, in year, an election year and how one side's going to be on one side, the other's going to be on the other, how it's just what we're experiencing now is just going to intensify, which goes to when Julie and I hear these things and read things, these things, I'll tell you where both of our minds go instantly. We need to protect our people. Mm -hmm. You're our people, listeners. You are our peeps. We need yep. to protect you. We need to make you aware that there's probably going to be some growing social discord that is going uh, that is going yep. to become increasingly intense and create more essential, you know, people basically being up in arms, quite literally. You need to be prepared for that. And the only way for you to be prepared for that is to be over-prepared for that. There's going to be a lot of interesting twists and turns that are going to happen mm -hmm. for the rest, you know, next six months into next year. And we're going to do everything in our power to, yes, let you know that we're aware of them. And if you're not aware of them, we're going to tell you, like in this particular case, you watch the news. These types of stories are going to start bubbling up with more intensity over the next two weeks, you know, with regards to people questioning, you know, whether or not we should have even taken the coronavirus as serious as it was. Remember when they were saying originally, listeners, that it's three times more, um, you know, deadly than the normal flu and people spread it as three times as fast. I don't remember all those statistics. Turns out pretty much all that was wrong. 
Now that's crazy, right? So, you know, that's the thing, that's the world we're entering into where people are not going to feel confident trusting the leaders, trusting people who are supposed to be giving us advice. I, I mean, I can even see employ if it does come out that what you just said is true and we're doing a little speculation here. Sure. But, but maybe all this ends up is that it's particularly deadly for older people. We know yeah. that to be true because over 50% of the deaths have been older people. 80 okay. or older, something like that. Yeah. So, I mean, that could be true of, of a lot of other things. That's probably true of things like strep throat. Both right. of my grandparents died of something like that. Okay. So if that's how it goes, can't you just see like employers suing the government because they're the this is the only reason they shut down their business? Yeah, and totally. that that was um, but you under can't really, false pretext. You can't I mean, really sue the government. No, though. but you can try. You know, you right. but you can see. You know, oh, I wouldn't be destitute if it weren't for being forced to shut down. I don't know where all of that's going to go. I, my theory, and you and I talked about this a couple mm-hmm. months ago, is mm-hmm. you're going to start seeing regions of the country, which are going to be Texas, for example. Mm-hmm. Texas, essentially, from we have obviously thousands of clients and friends there. They're saying life is pretty much back to normal. Yeah. You're going to restaurants and maybe their server here or there is wearing a mask, but pretty much it's back to normal. Mm-hmm. People are giving each other hugs and high fives and shaking hands. People have moved past it. Now, will they regret it into the future? I don't know. know. But I'm just telling you what we're starting to see is a distinct bifurcation Mm -hmm. of the parts of the country where people are wanting seemingly to be compliant and wanting to stay on lockdown and other places where people are going to want to go back to normal. Well, if you are a business owner and you're Elon Musk, for example, and you're saying California is making it so I can't open my factory I can't do this. I can't do the other thing. He as much as said that he's going to probably move his car manufacturing facility to guess where? Probably Texas, yep. right? And, you know, that's the thing that you got to, that's maybe another macro trend you need to be paying attention to in your real estate business. Are you in a, in a part of the country where there's been essentially a, you know, a very uncomfortable set of circumstances that's making you question whether or not you should live there. Businesses can't be open sure. again. There's England is still on lockdown for the most part. Julie has a great coaching client in uh, Long Beach. And she is yeah, as, very she, affected by she's about as a Long Beach as a girl as you could be. And yeah. her, her and her husband are both business owners and they're both successful business owners. And they've both been very, very on the left leaning side of things, you know, and true to their cause. And Julie has had a series of conversations with her where she's saying, I don't even know how this makes sense for me to have my family live here going forward. Yeah. Well, I mean, imagine if you had a couple of your listings, not just not selling, but being looted, you know, uh, one of the buildings that the their mayor lives in, somehow they, you know, the contingency found out his address and stormed the loft building. I mean, at a, at a certain point, you start to question what you're doing there, especially if it goes on for a long period of time. So, you know, just from a surely agent protective standpoint, coaching brain here, that yes, that spells more listings for you. But, you know, you've got to give what the market, you've got to take what the market is willing to give you. If people are moving because of that, understand what that is, understand and be, you know, compassionate for them, be supportive of them and help them accomplish their real estate goals. You've got to be there and be the leader and be the one that helps your people. But it's like we're trying to be there to help you guys. But when we read you a story and we tell you, you know, facts about people migrating out of say Manhattan and migrating to the, you know, the, the burbs, the burbs, right. And migrating out of San Francisco and you can tell yourself, well, that's just a, a temporary trend. Well, let's assume for a second that it's not. And if your business is predicated on selling in that particular geographic area 
and you see that geographic area becoming less desirable and you're a business owner, you sure, sure as heck better be thinking about yeah. whether or not it makes sense for you not to expand outside of that particular area well, that you've been so married to. <laughs> Evidence of this is a huge influx of agent to agent referrals amongst our coaching clients. Yep. You know, they're, they're right. saying, who do you know here? Who do you know there? How can I partner with them? And you know, they're prospecting each other because of this intermovement. It's almost, I think of it as like the great real estate shift of where people are living and migrating to. And you do get very different stories. You know, uh, my coaching clients in, in Long Beach are having a very different experience than say one of our agents in Paducah, Kentucky, or you know, north of Atlanta and some of the suburbs around there, totally different experience. Then you talk to somebody in Manhattan and they're just as freaked out as Long Beach. You know, markets that you never would have considered are gonna become the hot markets going forward yeah. as people don't need to be so centralized on big cities. That could be a macro trend. The semi-rural. Like the semi-rural. You're close enough to commute like maybe a couple days a week if you had to. You're close enough to get to hospitals and schools are still decent. You're not so far out that you're isolated. But, you know, those are the same properties that previously people were saying all of the opposite. Too far out. You know, too much of a drive. Well, here's the thing. But they're coming back. Consider this. So um, the one of the greatest geniuses in real estate mall development uh, was a guy named uh, Les Wexner. I mean, he didn't do the actual commercial real estate into things, but he envisioned essentially uh, these big outdoor malls that were sort of like city centers that Europe's were, most European cities are still based on, you know, mm -hmm. the centralized community hubs, basically. community hub, Piazza, what do they call them? Plazas. Plazas, yeah. 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 So that was sort of where people would go. They push strollers, walk their dogs. There'd be a big centralized fountain, maybe a big church. Yeah. That would be it. You guys can see these, this image in your mind. Well, that's how a lot of these big malls were created. But what's and that was a macro trend that lasted decades, right? These this big mall thing. But what's been happening? And Les Wexner owns Victoria's Secret, or did you know he owns all these big mega brands that were the hubs of these uh, malls? Well, those anchor stores, anchor stores, those malls are essentially no longer desirable. People don't want to go there anymore. You can blame online, but I don't think that's the real reason. I just think they maybe just didn't want to go. They don't want to go there anymore. So his vision of how you know essentially retail was going to work is now obsolete. Now, why am I telling you this? Because in the country, there are a lot of master plan communities that were based on the center of the community being this, that type of outdoor mall experience. What if all of a sudden those, the businesses within those malls are no longer in business? What effect does that then have on the real estate values of all the neighborhoods that were built around that as part of the master planning community. When Julie and I sold real estate in Columbus, Ohio, I'll give you another example. Those of you guys who are, guys who are golf fans, you know that the very famous Muirfield Golf Course is there. Well, Muirfield was essentially the most desirable place to live in Central Ohio, arguably for a long period of time, right? All the cool housing was there, da 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 well, the housing eventually sort of started to age out. It got old. The houses were mostly from, you know, the 70s and the 80s, and some of them were built into the 90s. Still beautiful houses and beautiful lots, beautifully master-planned community. But started to need everything. But started to need everything. It, the houses started to need roofs, and the floor pans were functionally mm -hmm. obsolete, and they needed windows. And people said, oh, yeah, yeah, well, I can just build a new house opposed to actually going through the expense. And the whole community basically went through this massive depreciation wave because people were migrating out to the other side of town to New Albany or they're migrating up to different cities. Those types of things happen locally and you can't, you can't ignore those sort of macro trends. We had friends that were some of the most dominant REMAX agents actually in that particular you know, Muirfield area and they did not migrate. They did not shift and then they suffered for 
years, decades, because of the fact that they were having to constantly, they'd have lots of listings, but they weren't selling. And they'd have to- So your magic number becomes huge at that point. Right. And the amount of work you have to do is, you know, if you could have just simply picked up and moved, picked up and maybe just mentally start focusing on the market where the, you know, market was going to be, and then you wouldn't have suffered needlessly. These are the types of things that are happening on a national basis now. This is the type of massive shift that's exciting- if you basically know you have the skill set that's yeah, transportable. but you have to watch what's going on in your own backyard because it's not going to be exactly the same from city to city or state to state. So that's why we, we try to bring you very timely reporting of what to watch for so that you can put your own oxygen mask on first, then you can take care of your family, and then your clients. That's right. We have a lot of really exciting things to share with you guys going forward. We've been working on a lot of projects. I'm just going to go through some of them just to let you guys know. We actually have started a, you know, we... We understand that the core principles of being a successful, profitable real estate agent is essentially doing the real work of real estate first. But after you become more successful, some of you are going to want to start doing some marketing and some branding. So Julie and I are coming out with uh, essentially a turnkey marketing and branding store if you wanted to do it at an incredibly affordable price at some of the nicest, most beautiful designs we've ever seen. So you can just plug and chug and get it done. We're coming out with that. We're also coming out with, we're essentially going to start a national real estate team. Yes, a Tim and Julie Harris national real estate team. And the premise of this is that it's going to be, we're only going to be able to choose a certain number of agents in each particular you know market around the country. And we, we can see, I can see frankly having maybe two or 300 agents total. And then what we're going to do is we're then going to provide those agents real estate leads because we get tons of real estate leads from the different things that we do just by happenstance. Um, and then... You're also going to be exchanging referrals amongst each other. So we're going to be doing an, an announcement on how you can apply to be part of our national real estate team. That's going to be coming hopefully in the next 30 days or so. Um, a lot of other really exciting things that are coming as a result of this uh, real estate reset. Because we've used this as a motivation for us to take all of our business practices to the next level as well. Anything else you'd like to say to these guys? Nope. Get to work. Don't be asleep at the wheel because your whole world can change in a matter of days or weeks and you don't want to be the last one to find out about it. So stay attuned, but get into action. You guys have a fantastic day. We'll talk to you on the show tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank <laughs> you.